This is a Healthier Michigan podcast, episode 65. Coming up, we discuss how food insecurity has a major impact on the health of those experiencing hunger. Welcome to a Healthier Michigan podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to navigating how we can all improve our health and well-being through small, healthy habits we can start implementing right now. I'm your host, Chuck Gatica. Every other week, we'll sit down with a certified health expert from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, and we dive into topics like nutrition and fitness and a whole lot more. And that's what's going to happen today, I think. On this episode, we're discussing food insecurity and the impact it has on those struggling with hunger. With me today is a registered dietitian for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Shanti Apello. Hi, Shanti. Hey there. Good morning. Uh, now, you are originally from Sweden, and when you say your name, it is way better than when I say your name, <laughs> but you gave me permission to call you Shanti. Say your name for us. You know, I think you did a great job, but <laughs> Shanti Apello is how, how my parents uh, would say it. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I should just pause and let you say it every time it's time to say your <laughs> name again. It's just so beautiful. Well, we're so glad you're here. And, you know, your depth of professional experience is coupled with, you know, real-life boots-on-the-ground experience. So you're with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. You're a native of Sweden. I know you've got a Bachelor's of Science in Nutrition and a Master of Science in Public Health Nutrition from the University of Tennessee. You are, from what I'm reading, passionate about these topics of nutrition and behavior, and you love the outdoors, so there's this wellness and healthfulness component to your own life, and yet you have witnessed firsthand by being involved in food insecurity issues in in the Knoxville area, Knox County, you know, helping to develop policy, uh, interventions, helping people literally one-on-one. Tell us a little bit about that background as you made your way from Sweden to Tennessee. Yeah, so I was in Knox County working in the community with nutrition for the last seven years. And one of my primary objectives was to influence that policy and work one-on-one with patients who were struggling financially. But one thing that I noted was, you know, nutrition education is really helpful. It's always helpful to know how you can prepare healthy meals, how to do it. But if you really don't have the tools to do that, it's difficult to actually make that happen. So one example I like to give is we're provided a lot of uh, canned goods, right, at food pantries and things like that because they're shelf stable. Yeah. They last a long time in your pantry and there are a variety of things you can do with them. But say you don't have the tools to prepare that or you don't know how to. You don't have a can opener, for example. How are you going to prepare that food? And so those are a lot of things that I was faced with working with people who are struggling financially is that they might want to make these healthy choices, but it's hard to do so. Yeah. And, you know, the the impact in our country, much less worldwide, because we take for granted just the numbers. And when you hear them, they are overwhelming. I mean, some of the data we've got as recent as 2019, according to Feeding America, more than 35 million people struggled with hunger in the U.S., and this includes more than 10 million children. So you are looking at food insecurity for families and for some that you may know and some that you may not know. I mean, there are just assumptions that we all tend to come to the table with, you know, of who is in need of food. And we just don't know the context of a family, of what's happened in their life that pushes them over the edge sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And you're so right. And I think what's really helpful to know is that there are so many different levels of food insecurity, 
There are those who may just feel a little bit anxiety about having adequate food where, you know, their quality of the food, the variety, or even the food that they like, Mm -hmm. they're not able to get on the table. Maybe they're not able to get the quantity that they're used to. But then there's also very low food insecurity. And really, that means that you are experiencing this in your body. You are going hungry. We can see it in micronutrient deficiencies uh, with certain vitamins. Really, the eating pattern is disrupted. So it can range from, you know, experiencing some hunger to, you know, experiencing hunger every day. And like you said, this goes for a lot of families and children. With children especially, we're seeing higher rates of obesity. We talked about having a really hard time focusing in school because you don't have a healthy breakfast. Yeah. And there are so many things that children are faced with from a young age that influence their behaviors when they get older, too. Well, you're a dietitian, so, you know, you have forgotten more about this than I know, but I'm just going to speak for a large number of people in the audience. It's counterintuitive often that you would hear that a family is in the midst of food insecurity and yet they're overweight. So tell me what is filling in the gap? What's happening? Is it literally fast food? Is that what they're turning to? Or they're just turning to the fastest, least expensive, let's grab a box of donuts and go kind of idea for breakfast? What is it that's happening then? Yeah, you're touching on something so important. And what's important to realize is that access to healthy food can be really limited in certain communities. Mm. And so imagine that you live in a community where the closest store that you have is a convenience store. We all know that going to a convenience store, you're going to pay, you know, sometimes double for some fruits and vegetables than you or would a gallon at of a milk, grocery yeah. store. Yeah, right. absolutely. And so if you don't have the transportation to get there, maybe you just don't have enough gas to put in your car uh, or money for gas, or you have to take public transportation to get there to a real grocery store. And of course, if you take public transportation to a real grocery store, how much can you really load up on when it comes to healthy food? And so oftentimes families are faced with being in the grocery aisles or being at a convenience store and they're like, I am hungry and I need calories. And if you can get 600 calories with $1 on potato chips or for that same dollar, you could get one banana that's not going to make you very full. Which one are you going to choose? Yeah. And so it does have to do with, you know, being able to afford healthy food and, you know, sometimes fast food being the only available option. But something really interesting, too, is that if you're constantly experiencing hunger, it may be that when you do get access to food, especially free food, you may overeat. You're like, this is my only meal for a long time, and I am going to take advantage of this as much as I can. So, So it's a twofold. Yeah. And you know, so much of what you've said uh, really is making light bulbs go off in my mind because, you know, we've had people on this very podcast that talk about, um, what is it? It's uh, it's food density. You know, would you rather in one hand, here's an apple and it's 90 calories or 100 calories. And in this hand are three Oreo cookies. Mm -hmm. You would think that, you know, it's okay. But if you want to really fill up your belly, eating that apple is so much better for you. And yet if you don't have access to the good stuff, but the cookies come in a big package, you know, for three bucks and that's what you get, mm-hmm. well, then you're filling up on the wrong stuff. And I think we sometimes forget that it's not the actual choice to not be eating healthy. That's like you said, that's all people have access to. It's it's get the cheapest box of whatever and that's all we can afford to eat today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where that whole education component comes in is that, you know, we can tell people how to eat healthy all day long, but 
if you really don't have access and if you don't have the money, how are you going to do it realistically? Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the things you mentioned, that can opener idea, I remember reading years ago, and it's just because I'm a I'm a learner. You know, it's one of my top strengths. I'm a nut about knowing stuff that doesn't matter. My wife always says, how do you know that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. But I remember reading that the way the can opener was invented, it was either in World War One or World War Two. The soldiers had no way of opening up the can of beans or whatever they had. They were using a screwdriver and a hammer, literally, <laughs> pop, you know, hitting. And somebody went, hey, how about this invention? And you think about the simplicity of saying, you may have gone to the food pantry and gotten a box of green beans and stuff, and you get home and you're like, duh, I can't, I mean, I can't even open the stuff. I can't beat it on the ground to open the can. Mm -hmm. You just don't think about some of those basic things that would affect, you know, food insecurity. Yeah. And you make a good point about that, too, because a lot of food pantries are seeing that. And, you know, having people donate canned food that have the little tab that you can just pull mm -hmm, uh, instead mm -hmm. of using a can opener. So there are ways to really help that. Yeah. But, you know, when you are food insecure, too, I want to touch on what else happens. You know, we may see that because you don't know what to put on the table that day, you may also forego getting medical care. Maybe you're not filling your prescriptions as often as you need to. Maybe you have type 2 diabetes and you need to control, you know, the carbohydrates that you eat throughout the day and you're not able to do that because you're limited in your food choices. Something that I experienced a lot working with moms is that infant formula for their children is important if you're not breastfeeding. And so, of course, you mix the infant formula with water. And so what happened a lot was these moms would dilute the infant formula with more water, not realizing oh, that yeah. it didn't have as much calories, but they were making just as much formula, right? And so there are a lot of trade-offs that you have to make sometimes when you don't know what you're going to put on the table with you know basic house necessities. You have to think about well, I have to have a place to live. So I have to have money for that. I have to get to work in order to have a place to live. And so I have to put gas in my car in order to get there. And maybe in the summer, you don't need as much power and electricity, but those are really hard decisions people have to make. Yeah. And I can't even imagine the idea that you have now, you've got kids you're having to jump through all the hoops of even, you know, we take for granted. Well, we're, honey, I'm just going to the grocery store and you go and you pick up your stuff and you come home. And for some people, all those hoops to jump through, getting the car to start, making sure it's got gas, getting to the right place and then getting how whatever it is, whether it's money from where you work or whether it's a bridge cart, whatever it is that allows you to go buy food. You've mm -hmm. got a lot of stuff to accomplish, and if you've got a couple, three kids or something, and they're all in the morning saying, where's breakfast? The pressure, the emotional and psychological pressure, you must have seen that too with some of the moms you're speaking of, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, yeah. imagine depression and food insecurity is very linked. We know that. Mm. That's what the research says. And when you are depressed, it is really difficult to make healthy choices for yourself. And you're talking about the stress too. Like even if you have your own car, getting three kids in the car and situated oh, yeah. can be really difficult. Yeah. But then imagine taking public transportation in order to get to where you're going yeah. and, you know, carrying all these goods and having all the kids with you and also juggling multiple jobs. I think one of the pieces of stigma that exists about people who are food insecure and 
maybe take advantage of SNAP benefits. That's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And one of the misconceptions is that people who take advantage of these programs are lazy and they're non-working individuals that just receive free handouts, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, oftentimes people who receive SNAP benefits have multiple jobs. They have to support multiple people in their family. And there are just so many, so many things that you're faced with when you have to make decisions about food. Yeah. And coming back to kids again, because I know as we talked about, these numbers are overwhelming. We all, I shouldn't say we all, I grew up with the idea you've got to have a good breakfast before you go off to school. So mm-hmm. another one of these touch points has got to be the idea that if you don't have a mattress to sleep on at night and you're getting a bad night's sleep, obviously that's going to affect your day, your performance, whether you're a kid or an adult. But with kids, if you're not able to get a good, quote unquote, breakfast, something to help you get your morning started so you're not in a fog, well, now you can extend those lines out as you're doing with the SNAP example, right, to see how that impacts education and testing and just wellness and wholeness in a classroom. You're so right. And healthy habits start young. And if you're faced with these struggles as a young child, it's very common for those to, you know, expand into adulthood and influence the decisions you make in adulthood. And that's why, you know, making interventions when kids are young is so important. And luckily, there are a lot of programs that exist for children to have a healthy lunch when they do come to school so that they can be fueled for a day of learning and play and all those things that are important. But oftentimes when you get home, if there's no food on the table, that's another issue. Yeah. Well, I have to admit to you that I was um, part of the federal school lunch breakfast and lunch program when I was a kid. Our income, we had income as a kid, and I didn't know we were poor. I mean, you know, I had a... I had a used bike and I played with army soldiers and a spoon in the dirt. I mean, (laughs) I didn't know. I mean, it was just fun. It was stuff you did. I never Mm -hmm. felt food insecure because I got, this is in high school, it wasn't during elementary school years, but I got to go to high school and if I, there was oatmeal and there was stuff and I got to get it because we qualified. But it wasn't so much a stigma for my parents, for me, a little bit, because you're surrounded by your buddies and some kids are buying their breakfast and then some of us get to show a special badge or something. And that was a little mm-hmm. strange. But there are lots of stigmas like that, right, that you just you just don't even think about. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of internalized stigma, too. You know, I'm guilty of the stigma myself. So back in Knox County, I was teaching a cooking class for a clinic that I did some medical nutrition therapy in. It was for people who were HIV positive and generally had a pretty low income to Mm. qualify to be in the program. And so during this cooking program, I had a rule and it was, you know, when you come here, we do not drink sodas and we do not bring, you know, unhealthy food because it just went against my mission. And so I see this person bring in a huge sheet cake. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what? This yeah. is this is not what we're having after. We have a perfectly healthy dessert planned after this. <laughs> yeah. And he informs me that, well, I actually just went to the food pantry and they had all these sheet cakes and I didn't want them to go to waste and I'm going to take one with me. And so I think it's important to check yourself on, you know, what you see associated with having, you know, taking advantage of assistance programs, like, you know, going to food pantries or SNAP or whatever it is. An example of that is 
Say you're at the grocery store and you're checking out. Someone's checking out next to you and you see them using their SNAP benefits. And you see, huh, they're buying beer too. Shouldn't they be focused on buying healthy food for their family? And I think what's so important to realize is that people deserve to have things that they want in life. They deserve to celebrate. uh, And there are so many things going on that we have to really wonder why they're making that decision. And, you know, stigma really is so linked to depression and it makes food insecurity so much more bad when you are also experiencing depression linked to that stigma. But, you know, I I touched a little bit on the internalized stigma, but there are so many people out there that qualify for assistance programs that are really helpful because they don't feel like they deserve to take advantage of it or that they don't really need to, or because they have stigma of what that means about a person when they use that. So, Well, there's a lot wrapped up in there that you've touched on a little bit, you know, with the emotional and the mental health aspects of this that... I mean, you know, a lot of our self-worth, whether you're an adult or whether you're growing up in life, is our self-worth can be derived from our jobs. You know, we're going off to do something. And when you're not either hired or you're out of a job or you're between jobs and now you're food insecure, you may be insecure about life in general. Do people love me? Why did I get fired? I mean, you know, there's so much that can be wrapped into that. And then it just gets into this internal spiral dive that becomes issues like you mentioned, depression and otherwise, that, uh, I mean, this there's just so much to this that it, I applaud you for what you did, because when I read, you know, how you got involved, and I've gotten involved this way myself, there's a big box store that everybody would recognize, I mean, the biggest box store, you know, that you would recognize, and they, every other day, will donate, and typically, to be fair, while they'll donate breadstuffs, not so much canned goods and anything else, but they will donate a lot of pastries and cakes because there's a date. You know, I mean, it's going to be kind of hard around the edges. So a lot of that can go to our local food pantry here. And like you're saying, somebody could walk out with a bunt cake or something at the top of their shopping bag, and people would think, well, you're off the rails on your choices. Well, that's what we got. We got a car. I've gotten a, my car filled with powder sugar because I went and picked up this stuff, and it's great stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's either that or it's going in the dumpster, right? Yeah, and the fear of food waste is real. We don't want to see food going to waste. And oftentimes there's a lot of food sharing going on in communities too, where maybe you see someone taking home that sheet cake, but they're sharing it with 20 neighbors. So you definitely touch on an important point there. So you've talked about SNAP. Give us from your perspective, what are the, not just the emergency plans that people can turn to, but what are the things the organizations, the the federal state programs that people can turn to that they may not be aware of. Yeah. And so especially if you experience changes in your employment or whatever it may be, it is really important to know about the different resources, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It used to be called food stamps, so people may be more familiar with that term. So that's what SNAP is now? That's what SNAP is now. Okay. Yeah. So we've seen that that can really help people who are food insecure in getting the food that they need. We see, you know, less attendance, food pantries that are more of an emergency type resource when people utilize SNAP. There's also the special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children, or otherwise known as WIC. And that can help moms get healthy food for she and her families when she's pregnant and also after giving birth. 
it can provide some extra funds for healthy food for a mom who's breastfeeding so that she can support herself during that. And it can also help provide infant formula and things like that. And what's really neat about that program is that it's switched in a lot of places from a voucher system to an EBT card system, and it's becoming a lot easier to use. And we also see less stigma. So that's important to know. Oh, good. Yeah. And in Michigan, there are so many food pantries for people who are in need. There are seven major food banks, but they serve 83 counties with, you know, 3000 different agencies to help people who need that emergency food assistance. And, you know, we touched on the sheet cake and things like that, but there are so many healthy food items available at food pantries and people who help food pantries are a huge part of that. So, you know, whenever you're donating to causes, especially, you know, during the holiday season, just thinking about the foods that we can donate and also, you know, calling the local food banks and seeing what they need can be really helpful. So there's a twofold there. You can definitely take advantage of resources, but there are a lot of ways that you can help both in donating food, but also donating your time. And uh, there's something that we've talked about in previous podcasts. It sort of recurs every once in a while when we're talking about diet, nutrition, et cetera. It's the idea of a food desert. For somebody who may not know, what does that mean and how do you see that impacting not just people that can afford to get, they actually can afford to go get the food, but how does it impact those who are struggling with good food choices? Yeah, so food deserts are common in the United States. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you live in an area where there's no food at all. It just means that you don't live in an area where you have access to healthy food. So you may live on a strip of land that has all these fast food restaurants just lined up, right? Mm -hmm. But there's not a healthy grocery store nearby. So because of that, you have to travel a lot further to get your food and that can be difficult. With food deserts, there are things being done. We are researching what communities are in need and really looking at how we can help bus routes uh, function better and things like that. But yeah, food deserts are a really big part of why it's difficult to eat healthy for certain people. Yeah, and I've seen with the food pantries that I've at least witnessed, and even the larger groups, you know, the the Feeding of America or the Forgotten Harvest or the Gleaners, you know, the big ones. And then mm-hmm. there are the others who get stuff from them, like Northville Civic Concern and others that I've witnessed. Oftentimes, some of the organizations either don't pick up perishable food. That's not their thing. They need, you know, they want canned goods and bags of pasta and stuff that doesn't spoil. And I get it. Mm-hmm. And then some of the local food banks, they just don't have the cash. You know, they're not getting enough funding to put in refrigeration. Mm-hmm. So you may be able to get a carload of vegetables or maybe apples when they're in season here in Michigan, as an example, but you can't keep that stuff forever. It's just not in their business plan or they they haven't been blessed with a refrigerator, you know, that you can walk into a cooler. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of like a food desert issue too then, isn't it? Even within food banks, it's just not there. Yeah, and an issue that can translate to your home life too. There are people who don't have refrigerators at home and who don't have a stovetop to cook things on. And so it adds to that. And it exists, like you said, in the food pantries and it exists at home and it exists in the community. So so you've actually developed local policy. You've served in communities within organizations. What, with your eyeballs, what have you seen are some of the most impactful ways that some of us listening can be helpful 
Is it literally writing a check to a local group? Is it calling and asking what we can bring in a box tomorrow? You know, when we're shopping, what could we bring? Tell us what are, I don't know, top four or five things we can think about doing that you've seen direct impact right to people. Yeah. And so when we touch on the issue of food insecurity, it's so much bigger than any one person, right? It's going to exist in the policy. And that's where we see those federal assistance programs really working. But what you can do on your local level is absolutely reach out to your local food bank. Food banks are the ones that distribute the food to the pantries that actually go directly to the people. Mm -hmm. And so it can be really helpful to reach out to them, give them a call, see what they need. Sometimes if you can't help in a monetary way, you can help with your time. And so a lot of food banks function off of volunteers, and those are needed oftentimes during the holiday seasons more than ever. And time is an important one. You know, I'm a baby boomer, so I'm far older than you, I suspect. (laughs) But I've got 74 million of my local friends in America, baby boomers, right? And sometimes I talk to my buddies. And I'll say, well, what do you do with all your free time if you're retired? Which I'm not really, but what do you do? Well, how, how much golf can you play or whatever your thing is, you know? <laughs> and collectively, baby boomers have trillions of hours of free time. And I hope anybody listening to this, whether they're a boomer or a Gen X or a millennial, doesn't matter, are really listening to you as a catalyst to encourage us. We can do something. And if all we can do is use our time, holy cow, how impactful is that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, things to keep in mind, too, when you are thinking about helping or maybe you just want to help a neighbor is focusing on getting people a balance of different nutrients, right? So when we think about my plate, that has protein, grains, dairy, and fruits and vegetables. You know, beans and peas in the protein group they are great sources of protein. They're great in side dishes, good in soups, especially this time of the year. And they cost far less than similar amounts of other protein foods like chicken and things like that. Eggs are a low cost option. You can make that into omelets, casseroles, egg bites, so much more. Canned tuna and salmon, they're also shelf stable. So we want to make sure that people are getting enough protein because it does play such a big role in the way that our bodies function, our immunity functions, and our strength. And then with grains, buying oatmeal in a big pack rather than an individual serving can get down to as low as like five cents a serving. And so that can save a lot of money. And it's also shelf stable. Brown rice and whole wheat pasta, also really good inexpensive options. And then we move to the dairy options too. And that's where we really have a big issue because they have expiring dates that are soon approaching, especially with milk and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so- Thinking about how much you will actually use. It's so silly to think about that because you're like, well, yeah, of course I'm not going to buy more than I need. But really thinking and planning that out can be really helpful. I tell my boyfriend, like, we go to the grocery store and he's like, ooh, let's buy this. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to eat that. So you are committing to eating that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We all we all go through that, trust me. Yeah, like we are not letting this go to waste. But just to think about that. So like for yogurt, if you, you know, oftentimes buying a large container is way less expensive than buying individual packs. Yeah. Uh, you can buy it with fruit and stuff. But if you aren't going to eat all that, you know, going for the individual packs is better. And then finally, with fruits and vegetables, you brought up apples. Great in season. Anything in season is going to be cheaper. But cabbage and carrots, apples and bananas are probably going to be lower cost than other produce. And canned is a great option. And if you are in the position to buy canned food, especially for food pantries and things like that, buying them in 100% fruit juice 
just to make sure that they're not in like heavy syrup or light syrup because that has a lot of added sugar. And then vegetables that are low in sodium or have no salt added. So those are things to really focus on. And for people who are, you know, experiencing hunger and they're really wondering, what do I buy at the grocery store? These are kind of the things to focus on. Well, but that's an encouragement to me and I hope to others who are thinking about, well, let's go buy some canned goods because you may not be assigning value to the idea of lower salt for somebody with hypertension or the amount of sugar because of somebody with diabetes, right? You're able to be impactful while you're still buying. Um, I just happen to know this because I know I love black beans and different kind. It's 10 cans for 10 bucks if they're not on sale. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, the impact of $10 with the protein and the fiber, and as you mentioned, the whole thing is just incredible. So we can give a little thought to what we're buying to donate as well as just cleaning out the pantry. And, and God love everybody who does it, but it's like, well, I don't want that and I don't want that. I'll just donate it. Well, that's nice if it's not expired, but we can have an impact that goes out beyond the food that we're actually giving. Absolutely. You're so right. Well, as we wrap things up, and it's been such a joy talking to you, and you are an encourager, you know, you really are. Give us one more takeaway here as we leave. What is one thing we could think about today, holidays or otherwise, that we can do to make impact with this issue? I think one of the biggest things is be kind to yourself and to other people who are struggling with this. It could be your neighbor. It could be anyone. And so if you are struggling, don't be afraid to take advantage of those opportunities that exist for you with assistance programs and, and food pantries. And just think about your health overall. Yeah. One bad meal, one bad choice isn't going to be something that ruins your whole health. So Keep that in mind and the decisions you make about your health in general. No, that's great advice. And for a lot of us, you know, it could be that uh, you haven't experienced it yet, sadly. I mean, you just don't know when you're one phone call away from dropping to your knees, as somebody wrote the lyrics to. You just don't know what's coming in life, or in my case, from where I've come. I mean, I don't really talk about it much, but I was part of a program that helped me have a breakfast and a lunch, too. So you just don't know how close you are to the edge sometimes until it happens. But what an interesting conversation, and I think this bears more conversation about trying to help people. So Shanti Apello, you go ahead, say your name again for us. Come on, Shanti come on. Apello. See, look at that. I mean, I just don't even do it justice. I'm so sorry, but <laughs> you are... You are just wonderful. It's a joy to have talked to you. And uh, Shanti is with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. She's a registered dietitian, health and wellness spokesperson for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Chuck. And with all these fun facts, I like need to go to trivia with you one day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. Uh, take good care of yourself and stay well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to a Healthier Michigan podcast. It's brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. If you like our show, you want to know more, you can check us out online. Are you ready? A healthiermichigan.org slash podcast. You can leave us reviews or ratings on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. You can get all of our episodes. We're up to episode 65, so there are a lot of great episodes and a lot of different topics. You can get them on your smartphone, take us for a walk, uh, you know, do whatever you want. Get it on your tablet. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcast app. I'm Chuck Gatica. Stay well. <laughs>